0: remember if you had a moment a moment when it occurred to you about 18 months ago that COVID wasn't a weird three-week holiday (laughs) when it was going to be a little longer than that like do you remember when it really kind of started to set in that this was going to affect everything about where we live where we work where we play Like for us at least, and this just may have been kind of my family, the first few weeks you were like, well, I mean, we wanna stay safe, but we're kind of like fun being home more, and it's like a different rhythm, and it's like forcing us to slow down, like all the stuff we've talked about. But then there was that moment where you're like, oh, I don't think this is going away uh, anytime soon. For me, that process happened kind of gradually rather than at, the, at one moment. Uh, the process for me actually began uh, in, in early March, uh, kind of as, as we were learning and hearing more about this and seeing it uh, pop up uh, in our country. Um, I was actually the first part of March when that happened out in uh, Pasadena, California. I was there meeting with a friend and mentor and a consultant to this congregation. I had been sent there really by the elders, of this feels like a lifetime ago, by the elders of this church and our personnel committee because our church was growing so fast on campus, we were having to rethink our staffing structure, specifically around children and youth because we were having so many younger people joining our church. we were having to think about how we wanted to staff that, what that would look like, about how we kind of are, uh, adapt our campus in different ways. And, uh, and, and I was all excited about that all excited about what that would mean. And we were flying back from LAX, and I was noticing more masks on the plane than when I had gone out. And when we landed in Austin Bergstrom, and you know when you land on an airplane and everyone turns their phones on and starts checking messages, and this like conversation, this whisper started around the plane, they canceled South by Southwest. They canceled (laughs) South by. And the guy sitting next to me said very loudly and very confidently, that's not true they would never do that. <laughs> Which to be fair to him all of us in the last 18 months have probably made very bold declarations that have been completely wrong. If has done anything hopefully it's humbled us a little bit in going this is what's going to happen. Now you would think at that point the reality had set in but it didn't for me. I was still like, eh, you know, it's going to be a little bit, and then it's going to pass. But one of the things we did for a potential short-term interruption was we filmed what we called a just-in-case service. So the next day, I came in here, and we asked uh, Jonathan Kofall, who's running our, our live stream today, coordinating it, uh, and we'd worked with on just a couple of small projects to come in and to film a quick message that I would I would do, and then Michael Schumann played uh, a hymn, and we were like, you know just in case we ever need it. I, one of my bold comments like, we're never going to really need this, but just in case. And 24 hours later, the just in case become in-person worship is canceled, and the just in case is now our plan for Sunday. I think we made one other uh, kind of elementary video, and the video was kind of like, you know, just a camera and some of us up here. And, and then all of a sudden, that moment happened for me it started to dawn on me, oh, we need, we need something more than a couple of just-in-case placeholders. We've gotta think about this in a fundamentally different way. And I remember that meant we had to think behind the camera and in front of the camera differently. I still remember when one of the first things we did was our director of communications at the time, Stephanie Schultz, and Jonathan and I met in my office, like we gotta work out some terms here. Can you commit to working with us and like what's that gonna mean for us? We got an agreement on how that was gonna work. We immediately came up to the sanctuary here and had to change this sanctuary completely. If some of you came and helped us film worship during the online only period of time for us, you know what I'm talking about. We had to clear out the first third of rows that were here. We had permanent risers in the middle of the sanctuary for an elevated camera that was our, our primary permanent camera. We had uh, electrical cords running throughout the sanctuary taped to the ground uh, so that people wouldn't trip over them or pull them out so that we could plug other cameras in. We had moving cameras that were automated in here. We had banks of lights because our our sanctuary was too dim for uh, capturing the right lighting. And so when you came in here, it was just banks of lights here uh, in the front. And all of that we had to change because as I've shared with you before, our sanctuary was woefully unprepared like embarrassingly unprepared for what online worship would look like. But that wasn't the only thing that had to change. We also had to figure out what happened on the front of the camera. What did we do in leading worship? Because when I went back and worshiped the first Sunday watching myself on camera doing the just-in-case sermon, it left something to be desired in my mind. (laughs) Because if you've never if you've never spoken to a camera before, my my it, it, it's weird. It's weird. And what everyone says you is like, just act natural. Which when you've never thought about how you act natural, it's weird to try to do it. I encourage you sometime, when like just walk natural. Well, when you've never thought about how you walk before, you find yourself sort of going, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm pretty natural. Does it, does it look natural? Does, does everyone feel natural? And when I'm naturally walking, where am I naturally looking? Am I looking at this or am I looking over here? And there's things moving around. And then the other part that's weird about it is you have no feedback. Cause it was, you know, mostly when I preached, it was just me and Jonathan. Jonathan's behind a camera. It's empty in here and all these lights. And the worst part is you like try to tell a joke and I don't know if you're aware of this, but I often tell jokes that you all don't find funny, which actually happens to me in many parts of my life. But when I can read you in the moment, I just keep plowing one and you're like, was that a bad joke? I don't know, he's just keeping going and it goes away. But when you have to try to tell a joke and then you're like, do I pause here because people are laughing in their living room? Are they not laughing, turning this off right now? Like, and so you're just kind of like, laughter, laughter, laughter. And anyway, and I keep naturally walking as I'm here, right? It's just strange. And so I watched myself on the camera and you're like, oh my gosh, like we have got to figure this out. And so what I did among a couple of things is I actually called my friend, my mentor, the person who had been consulting with us out in Pasadena. And I was like, hey man, thanks for the staffing remodel. No one's interested in that right now. But this individual who knows our church and knows me was saying, uh, was also really good at the intersection of technology and worship. And I'm like, we need to now talk about this. So I sent him uh, the video of the just in case sermon, I, I mean, worship service and said like, what do we need to do? And I talked to him a couple of days later and he goes, well, let me start with this. It could be worse. And you're like, oh, no, right? <laughs> but then we started talking about the different elements of how this works. See, what was strange is I feel like we've got a pretty good and gifted team when it comes to what worship looks like in person. But when it came to online, we were clueless. We were like literally it was like we did not know what to do. And so uh, this individual started talking to me. He's like, you know, there's ways of thinking creatively about this. You can think about, uh, you know, how to use liturgy and how to use prayers and how to use music and how to utilize the technology in the forum to do so differently. He said, but one of the things you guys have to think about is the length of the the time. Your prayers are too long for people in their living room. The liturgy uh, can get, like, kind of dry for people in their living room. And he said, in your sermons. (laughs) And I distinctly remember going, like, you can take this. You can take it. You... You know, you can take this. And he said, they may need to shorten a little bit. And the way that you preach might need to change some. For instance, what I'm doing right now of a lengthy illustration before I even get to the scripture passage is something that's really hard to do in that format because what I've just done is I've told you the whole point of the sermon we're about to preach on without telling you the point. It's actually a really effective way of starting, but it just didn't work there. So I had to relearn how that process of preparing and preaching was effective. And if our online services in any way impacted you and your life, that conversation with our friend and mentor in California shaped every piece of what we wound up doing. Today we are launching into the second week of our Rebuild teaching series going through the book of Nehemiah about how it is that we can rebuild our lives and our habits, even our city, state, nation, and world, our society. Not just by going back to the glory days, but by pointing forward to something more beautiful than anything we have previously known. We asked you last week to remember that the call and the process of rebuilding doesn't start when we come out of the difficult time. It starts when you're in the disorienting time. It starts now. And we asked you last week to hold out your places of discomfort, your places of disappointment, to hold them out this past week in prayer and to interact with God and to see if what we called a burden might begin to be formed. And we're going to ask you to keep doing that this week. Nehemiah spent four months holding these things before God in the formation of a burden. We've been asking you to do it for a week. We might need to do this for quite some time. But today, we're going to add on seeing what comes next as our burdens, as they develop, begin to be refined into a sense of call, into a vision for each of our lives as to what rebuilding can look like. We're going to be looking at the first six verses of chapter two of Nehemiah today. I invite you to listen to God's word to us today. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was served him, I carried the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before, so the king said to me, why is your face sad since you're not sick? This can only be sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my ancestors' graves lies waste and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor with you, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my ancestors' graves, so that I may rebuild it. The king said to me, the queen was also sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a date. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord, I pray that no matter who we are or how we walk in here, we would hear your gospel, your good news to us today, and it would change us forever. We pray this in your name. Amen. So as we started out talking about last week, when we think about our life and our call here at Covenant, uh, we are really guided as a congregation by our vision statement, something we worked really hard on to get down to one simple sentence. We're encouraging one another to follow Jesus wherever we live, work, and play. That's who we are as a church. We're encouraging one another to follow Jesus wherever we live, work, and play. I love that statement because it has so many of the values of what it means to be a covenant, what's special about who we are. First off, we want to be an encouraging place to you. We want people when they interact with covenant to feel encouraged in their lives. We don't want to be a place primarily built on rules or upon shame or upon guilt or upon any kind of legalism in any sense. We want to be at our core an encouraging place for one another. To do what? To follow Jesus. We have a very high Christology. We have a lot of dif- diversity in our congregation in terms of how we think and how we uh, uh, feel about theology and about the world. But what, the reason we can live in that diversity is because we have a strong center, a high Christology. We are following the person of Jesus as the Lord of creation and as our saviors. And what we say at the end where we live, work, and play, we're talking about what it means to not be an attractional church but a missional church. A church that's not sitting there going, how do we just get people to come to us, but realizing that when we're here, the purpose God's called you to live is out there, where you live, where you work, where you play. And so when we gather together, it's for equipping and training so that we can go out into the world and you can live a life of purpose, that you can stand for something in this world. That You don't just stay busy majoring in the minors, but we stand for something bigger than ourselves. Seven days a week. Encouraging one another to follow Jesus wherever we live, work, and play. And if someone says, to us, Well, how do you do that? How do you become that kind of church? We talk about, as we said last week, through uh, common practices, common behaviors, common habits that we build. Three specifically in the Bible, in the, both the Old Testament and the New. The first habit, we think of it like three legs of a three legged stool. Everyone needs to practice each one. The first we talk about is the habit of solitude, your spiritual life being alive with your Creator each of us having a vibrant spirituality. This is a practice of solitude again we invited you into last week when we said hold out our disappointment before God. Journal about it, pray about it, yell at God if you need to, sing about it if you need to, but whatever ways are authentic and real to you, hold these places out before God and see how God responds. The second of the behaviors and the habits we build here, the second leg of the three-legged stool is the habit of community, life together, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, what it means to have people walking with us in very real and intentional ways. And the third of the behaviors and the habits is the the third leg of the stool is the habit is service, serving something larger than just our own lives and in our own bubbles, serving a cause that's bigger than ourselves. Solitude, community, service. And today, through this text, we're going to be looking at this second leg of the three-legged stool. How the habit of forming biblical community is essential in taking the burdens that we have and refining them towards vision. Refining them towards a call. Refining them towards a purpose for rebuilding our lives. Now, there's a few different things that we're going to kind of point to in here. I just want you to be aware of because I know that we have different friendships. We can go to concerts with people. We can watch movies with people. We can, uh, you know, uh, watch UT games with people. And all of that is great. All of that is wonderful. But I want us to be aware from this text. What are kind of the markers? What are the things we need to be aware of to have this life-giving, intentional, biblical community? What's unique about that? So there's three different things we're gonna bring up here. The first thing that I just want us to be aware of and I want us to know from this text is, is that we need to invest in community before you need it. You need to invest in community before you need it. One of the things that's important that you see here is that, that, that King Artaxerxes, see how I said that? I can say that fast, three times off the tongue. Uh, I'm not going to, but I can. I practiced all week. The king and Nehemiah, uh, despite the fact that Nehemiah is a person in the king's court, that the king and Nehemiah have a friendship. They have a relationship of some kind. You know when you know someone well enough that when they walk into the room you can tell if something's wrong? Like, like that, that's something that takes time. It takes getting to know each other. And what Nehemiah has in his sadness is something that the king picks up on. And The king says, it seems to be that you have a sadness. I actually find this touching, a sadness of the heart. And the king wants to know what's going on. I think that it's really, really important we understand that a relationship started before Nehemiah had a burden that Nehemiah needed to share. One of the places that I love is we have seen uh, small groups and Bible studies with, uh, with, um, and PW circles and, and in these studies having community that's intentionally being shaped in form uh, that I love here at Covenant is when those smaller groups start moving to a point where they no longer need a curriculum because their lives are the curriculum. I think that's when you really see it humming. When you start a group, and one of the options before you uh, at this time is that you might be called to start a group with some people you know here, or uh, just to give leadership to a new group forming uh, in this time. And we have a lot of resources that can help you in that. There's an intentionality with how we'll help you because it's really important of how does a group like this get started? What are the things to talk about? How do you build habits? We will help you in that. But what's wonderful is when a group starts getting to the point that they don't need that anymore because when they get together, if you get together with people after two or three weeks and you are telling the truth about your life to each other, that will fill up the time you have. Talk about your dreams, talk about your hopes, talk about your doubts, talk about your fears, talk about what's taking place in life, inviting people in to give their perspective and pray on it. That will fill your time. When your lives become the curriculum, and you're going, I wanna follow up with you about this, I've been praying for you about that, how is this going? That's where you really start seeing God at work. It's different when you sit there and go, okay, I need someone to talk to, who do I talk to? You need to invest in community before you need it. Number two we notice here. You don't wanna surround yourself with yes people. You don't wanna surround yourself with yes people. There is nothing as comforting or less productive than a group of people sitting in a circle who all congratulate themselves on being right. It's comforting. It's great to be with like-minded people, right? We just kind of all look at the world, and we all see it the same way, and we see the problems the same way, and we see our marriages the same way, and we see our friendships the same way, and we see uh, our faith the same way, and we just spend time congratulating ourselves on how right we all are. That is very comforting. It just doesn't change us at all. And and we are naturally drawn to like-mindedness. But one of the things that we see here is that the king and Nehemiah have different perspectives on things. They come from different cultural backgrounds. They've had different experiences. They have different ways of looking at situations and issues. Nehemiah knows that when he shares his burden with the king, you can feel his hesitancy here in the text because he knows there's a chance that the king's gonna look at him and go, I don't know why you're worried about that. You need to like move forward, right? He's not surrounding himself with just yes people and you need that and so do I. I need people in my life who love me enough that if I said, guys, I'm going to go be an accountant, they would look at me and go, God doesn't want you to do that. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with being an accountant. I don't want emails from any of the CPAs here this week saying, I criticize you. I'm not criticizing you. I am saying, I'm grateful for you. And the reason I'm grateful for you is my brain doesn't work that way. If I looked at anyone in our business office and said, I'm gonna come help you with the books, they'd be like, "Mm -mm. no, 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 no. Please don't come do that, right? I don't need yes people if I said that to go, yes, go be an accountant. We're just here to support you, right? It's like, no, I need people that love me enough not to. Paul talks about this as binding community where you're speaking the truth and love to each other. One of my favorite stories about a small group here at Covenant, it happened a couple of years ago. And it was a group of people that some of what the differences they brought to their group was that they had people of different generations that were there, which is always really unique. And, uh, and they were in a conversation about what God was kind of leading them to do with their lives. And one couple was older than the rest and was retired. Both of them had had very successful professional careers, but they were both retired. And when they shared with the group, they said, you know, this just feels different for us because all the times that we've really talked about how we try to impact the world, our careers were the vehicle where we really did that. And so we see that that's still true for you all that are still working, but I don't know that it really applies to us anymore. And what I love was one of the younger people in the group they gave one of the greatest responses, I found out later they had heard this somewhere else, but it's one of the greatest responses. They said, I don't buy that. If you got air in your lungs, you got a call on your life. Oh, what a great statement. If you got air in your lungs, you have a call on your life. They loved that couple enough not to just sit there and go, you're right there's just really nothing left for you to impact. And I remember sitting there going, every one of us needs to be loved that much. Where they were going, no, no, we love you too much for that, and so we're gonna hold you accountable for what God wants to still do and impact the world through you. You got air in your lungs, you got a call in your life. Every single person at Covenant needs to be able to point to who those people are that, are that, that love them that way. We all need that. So don't surround yourself with yes people. Number three, the last one. Give your community some authority in your life. You need to give them some authority in your life. We, we in our culture, value the supremacy of the individual. I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. It's my life. It's my way of approaching things. I'm going to find my way and everything else. And that's evolved from some very real places. But we need to understand that the biblical vision of flourishing comes from our connectedness with each other. It comes from a viewpoint that's much more about us and we than I and me. It is a very countercultural way of living life. It's easy with Nehemiah and the king to see that there's authority there because without the king's blessing, Nehemiah couldn't do anything. But we also need that kind of perspective in our lives and to say, if my community is not on board with this, this isn't what I'm gonna do. That God doesn't call us to just go, no, it's my life and it's my call and it's my burden and I'm going to figure it out and nobody's going to tell me what I'm supposed to do. That you are not going to see with clarity what God's purpose is for us, what that call is. But you sit there and go, part of how I test the spirits, as Paul says, is by doing so in community. And so until the people in my community really have a sense and see this in a similar way, I'm going to keep listening and refining this thing. We all need to have people that have some authority in our lives. And what we see in this passage in a few verses is actually if the king hadn't been on board, not just from a permission place, but the king actually gets passionate and gets involved in what Nehemiah is doing. Nehemiah couldn't have done what he did without the king on board. And when your community starts getting on board, what you're going to find is is that your call gets entwined with their call. And their call comes alive and you start doing it more and more together rather than (laughs) each of our individual slots All right, as we wind this up, I want to take a second just to kind of say after two weeks where we are and what we're kind of supposed to be thinking in this, because this is a lot. And I want to do it again by that story about our church in the beginning. Number one, we're supposed to be taking our discomfort and our disorientation, recognizing our burden. I I had a burden. We went from a place I felt pretty competent of how worship worked when we were together, to a place that I felt completely out of my depths with no sense of where to go, and I felt the burden. It was keeping me up at night, I w- and I did not have a plan. We talked about that last week. When you're in that place of disorientation, it doesn't start with, here's the plan. It starts with, Lord, I'm holding this out in front of you. And then all of a sudden, that burden began to be refined to a vision, not because I just had some great thoughts, but because we talked to somebody who had been part of uh, connecting with our church, had been a mentor and a friend and a consultant in California who knew this church, knows the DNA of this church, has been at this church, has worshipped with us before. And we said, number one, we need to invest in community before you need it. We called him up and said, you know us, you know me, you know how we operate, help us figure this out. You've got expertise in this that we don't have, but but how do we, particularly at Covenant? See, I could have gone on a website and people made a lot of money in church industry early in the pandemic by going, I can tell you the four ways that online worship worked great. And folks were desperate and so like, okay, well, I'll just go to you. But it's different when you already have the relationship there and you're like, you know us, you know me, help us in this. Number two is you don't surround yourself with yes people. Trust me. I had the people like the grandparent response already of going, no, you're doing great. We're proud of you, and, so, and I needed that because I was completely like out of my depth, but what I needed more was somebody looking at me going, yeah, you gotta make some changes. It could have been worse, <laughs> but it could be better. And third, you give authority. It's not that we did everything that he said, we didn't, but everything that he said or offered became a conversation piece that we wrestled with and discerned, and it shaped what we did. It started with a burden, didn't start with a plan, that came in our discomfort, and then in community, the burden begins to be refined to a sense of vision. You see that? So that's what I'm inviting you to do this week, to keep holding that place of discomfort before God, to keep letting your burden get shaped by God in this time of discomfort and disorientation, but on the other hand, to also start sharing that with people. If you've got community, if you've got that pocket of people here, it's time to start getting meetings on the calendar. It's time to start getting and making certain your calendar is showing this habit, this rhythm. Our small group is meeting this afternoon. That's what the Daniels are doing. We're gathering together to begin walking in this new program school year. And it's important that that habit is there. And if you don't have it, and there is no shame in that at all, our society is getting lonelier and lonelier and lonelier. Every study shows. We are regressing at this as a people. Then there is an invitation before you today. You can go online and there are on-ramps for every one of you, for every age and stage of life. If there is breath in your lungs, there is a call on your life Outside on the patio after the service today, there's gonna be a table there with opportunities just to learn and see more. No one's gonna try to sell you on anything, but it's gonna be a breadth of how you can find a smaller pocket of community to walk with. COVID has disrupted much for us. Maybe for 10 years you would have said, I have that, but now I'm not certain I have it anymore. Go explore, go see, go find. Come join us in this because we can be a part of seeing the world built back and our lives built back healthier and more glorious than we ever could imagine, but we will not see it by ourselves. We need to do it together. Come join us on this magnificent journey. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Lord, guide us, keep us, show us the way forward that we might journey as your people with clarity of vision. We pray this in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen.